You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Domecast. I'm Colin Campbell from the News and Observer in the hosting chair this week, and uh, we had yet another special session. You know, we were hoping for a quiet news week this week after the special session of last week, but uh, we got a little bit of a surprise, and uh, joining me to talk about that is Craig Jarvis from the NNO. Uh, Craig, this, I guess, came up as a, as a Monday morning surprise as we were all sort of rolling out uh, for the week and hoping for what was going to be a less eventful week than we had uh, with the, the previous session that was designed to strip some of the powers from Roy Cooper. When did we find out exactly? Was it Monday morning? Yeah, I think it was Monday morning, just about the time we were all settling in. Like you said, last week was behind us. Uh, you know, it's the final week before Christmas. There's shopping to do and all the, you know, that kind of working on evergreen stories that are just kind of help you get through the holidays. And yeah, I think it was um, Monday, Monday morning, the Charlotte City Council, uh, without any notice or advanced warning. Yeah, no one knew this was happening uh, that night. And actually, I think the first I heard of it uh, was not really even hearing of it. Was I was I was off Monday, was sleeping in, and I saw a call from uh, Chris Scrow of Equality North Carolina on my cell phone at 8 a.m. And I was thinking, oh, he's just calling about a press conference or something. I'll, I'll ignore that. And I, I guess he was getting word of what Charlotte was doing. So a few hours later, yeah. we hear that Charlotte has had a meeting. And, and they've, re- they've voted to repeal their, uh, their uh, ordinance, which was the uh, LGBT protection uh, ordinance that led to HB2 and led to, you know, a year of uh, ridicule and teeth gnashing for North Carolina. Uh, So they said they would repeal that ordinance if uh, HB2 was repealed by the legislature. It seemed like a pretty simple proposition. So they put a deadline of December 31st, which is why they were so so rushed. Which, uh, which really kind of, I I guess they wanted, you know, to make sure it happened. It wasn't going to be an open-ended deal, but uh, some um, some uh, Republicans in the legislature found that one of many uh, irksome things about Charlotte. They just thought that that was uh, more of a threat than a conciliatory thing, as was the word I got. But um, at any rate, a number of people felt like there was an opening that somehow there was going to be this window where uh, you know, and, and who picked up the ball and got it running? I'm not sure. Roy Cooper has said that his staff spent what did you say, like ten? Yeah, days about work- ten days to put it together, um, and, and that uh, they had been making phone calls and trying to sort of broker the the terms of whatever the the deal was going to be. Um, I guess working with uh, Charlotte City Council, several of whom I think right. said they got calls Sunday night from right. Cooper about this. So I think it was initially a, a normal scheduled uh, Charlotte City Council meeting, uh, but it had not been noticed as one that was going to involve HB2 because, of course, if it had been, right. you'd have a lot of people there uh, to uh, you know make a case, case one way or the other about the Charlotte Ordinance. And, yeah. and that's what happened. You know, this is we, We've gone through this before. Um, I guess back in September, Charlotte was considering repealing their ordinance in exchange for action by the legislature, and uh, they got a lot of pressure from uh, the LGBT groups and, and others on the left who, who did not want to see them back down and, and repeal that ordinance. This time, uh, they got it through in, in, I guess, under an hour, and by 10 a.m. Uh, Monday morning, we were hearing from Roy Cooper that a special session was imminent and um, that, right. that uh, the legislature had, had agreed to, to move forward with this. But. Yeah, and while Roy, Roy Cooper was announcing that, the uh, state legislative leaders were kind of conspicuously quiet, but apparently behind the scenes, 
Senate Leader uh, Phil Berger and House Speaker Tim Moore were uh, having discussions that involved the, the governor and saying that they would, you know, do what they could to get the votes together and bring it before the legislature to uh, vote on this repeal. Uh, but quickly, things fell apart. Yeah, so it probably seemed too good to be true for uh, all the goings on with HB2 we've had and uh, seemed to be the case. I guess the, the first signs of discord were Tuesday night uh, when this uh, report came out uh, from uh, WBTV, which is a TV station down in Charlotte that often seems to get um, uh, whatever the Republican equivalent of WikiLeaks would be. Uh, but they, they tend to uh, drop in the, the hands of this TV station in Charlotte. And the, the report was that uh, upon further review of the Charlotte action, that they actually hadn't fully repealed the ordinance, that there right. was still stuff on the books. Um, yeah. I think uh, Senator Berger indicated it was several pages out of the ordinance. Yeah, it was like there were, I think it was a five-page ordinance. They had only re- repealed one of those pages, basically. The yeah. other stuff was fairly minor and technical, but I think it had to do with uh, contracts, public contracts uh, with non-discrimination yeah. clauses. And the Charlotte City Council members said that they thought that that was the part of the ordinance that wasn't affected by HB2, and therefore right. they didn't think it was relevant to right. um, make that part of their repeal. Right. But they ended up bowing to the pressure rather quickly. Um, yeah. Well, Berger told me that they were, you know, they started putting together, they started counting the votes. What what, what did they need to get this to happen? And uh, he figured out that, the, I mean, he assumed the Democrats would all be for it, be, for repealing HB2, and he knew he was going to have some Republicans who just were never going to go for it, and he re- said he respected that, but it was a matter of getting the others together with the Democrats to uh, to make it happen. But uh, uh, there was a huge trust problem at that point. This was kind of a fragile coalition that was put together, but his members, the Republicans in the Senate, were just starting to see Charlotte as, well, first they give us this deadline. They, they're telling us what to do, which riles them up, and then, you know— um, I don't know. He just it just started falling apart. There was it was just it was not going to happen. Yeah, and there seemed to be the concern too that Charlotte was sort of saying. I think even in their resolution that they might consider some other form of non discrimination ordinance in the future, which right. I think a lot of folks in the legislature read as you get rid of HB two, and then we're going to come back somewhere down the line and maybe bring back some of the same stuff that we had just right. repealed. I don't know whether that's actually what they were planning to do, but certainly yeah. the the distrust was there uh, yeah. among legislators that yeah. they weren't willing to go for that. Yeah. Um, and so apparently that's when things changed from a simple repeal bill that would have just yeah. they would have come in Wednesday, they right. would have repealed the bill in full and yeah. then left, uh, which would have been right. very easy to do. Um, that ended up getting more complicated, and that's how we ended up with the bill that was a little more complicated and yeah. didn't have the support it needed. That was this idea, right. I guess, of a moratorium initially for six months. Six later, months cooling off. Yeah, period. later for uh, the length of the 2017 yeah. legislative session where no cities anywhere in the state could enact any of these sorts of ordinances. Yeah. Um, Berger said at that point that was an effort to save the repeal bill, that that was a re- that was an assurance to his members that nobody would do anything. You know, it wouldn't, okay, as soon as we repeal, HB2, cities all over the state will start you know, passing their own local ordinances. And he needed some assurance. And it's kind of a standard legislative thing, really. Let's come back in six months, with, figure out what to do. If you're on the other side, you're thinking this is a really open and closed issue. We're talking about discrimination. We're not going to play around by, you know, and, and we're, we're not going to play this game. But it, it became very tenuous, very difficult for him to put together a bill, and he tried a number of legislative maneuvers to do that by splitting the those two thing those two provisions in the bill up to uh, to separate votes. 
but it was just odd. He, he, he ran into opposition from his own party. Uh, yeah, including a fairly high-placed people. I mean, the, you very rarely see the, the leader of the Senate and the Senate majority leader on different sides of a key yeah, vote. But yeah. Harry Brown uh, from Jacksonville, who's been his majority leader for several years now, didn't go along with this vote. Yeah. Uh, and Tommy and Tucker made a motion to lay upon the table, a burger motion, which which is astounding. I mean, I've never heard of that. Yeah. I mean, the Republicans have sort of spun this as, you know, we're going to blame the Democrats because ultimately this was the weird position where the, the ball was actually in the Democrats' court in the Senate, where right, right. if the Democrats had voted for this, yeah. then it would have it passed. passed. If they Because they chose not to vote for it, it didn't pass. Right. And that's, that's right. rarely the case because normally the Republicans decide what they're going to do. Yeah. And they don't need the Democrats' votes. If, if yeah. the Democrats come along, then they're, they're happy to see that, yeah. and they can call it bipartisan. But uh, they don't really care whether the Democrats vote with them or not yeah. uh, a lot of the times. Um, and, and this is, it was, I think, a 16 to 16 yeah. split among Republicans yep. on this vote. Um, and I look down, some of it I think you could chalk up to the rural-urban divide. Mm-hmm. I mean, HB2 clearly much more unpopular in the urban areas where you've seen the economic losses, where people are a little bit more socially liberal. Rural areas are are a little more supportive of this. They're areas where you you don't see a transgender person very often, so people are are much more scared about the the safety concerns that have been raised. Um, But there have been several, I think at least a couple of uh, suburban and urban legislators that were against repeal. Uh, locally, Chad Barefoot from right. Wake Forest, but I think you can chalk his opposition up to the fact that his mother-in-law is uh, Tammy Fitzgerald of the North Carolina Values Coalition, which was <clears throat> lobbying pretty heavily uh, against repeal, uh, and I suspect he would be in for a, a cold Christmas uh, <laughs> dinner so. if uh, yeah. if he and, and Tammy Fitzgerald ended up at, at odds on, on right. this uh, HB2 bill. Right. You know, I, that, that, struck, I, that struck me, too. It was obviously a you know, an issue with ethics or morality with him. And uh, he was not going to go, he was not going to vote for that bill no matter what. Yeah. And, and I guess the, the fallout from it has just been a lot of blame. Lot what of sense are you blame. getting from Berger? You talked to him for a while uh, yeah. today on, on Thursday. Um, has he cooled off at all from some of the sort of visible frustration and, and anger that he seemed to have yesterday about the way things went down? Not much. He bent my ear for a good half hour and, uh, uh, still has a lot to get off his chest. uniquely long for a, an it exchange is, with Berger. He's yeah. usually, a, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to say a man of few words, but yeah. he, he um, chooses his words carefully. Yeah. So you have to give him some, uh, you know, some credibility to what he's saying. He's not, you know, it wasn't so much political as he really felt like he tried to make this happen. He felt like it was a good faith effort. And, uh, you know, it just it just fell apart. I, at the end of, near the end of the session, I know Senator Harry Brown said, Kind of tried to make nice to everybody and say, well, everybody tried hard. And there's things we can talk about next year in the long session. But Berger today said, I, you know, this is going to be extremely hard to try to cobble something like this together again. It was just a very kind of of the moment opportunity. Yeah. And then I went to the uh, Roy Cooper press conference, which was held right after they adjourned last night out at the uh, PNC arena. Apparently, uh, Cooper, as governor-elect, has get, gotten not so great office space, so he can't actually fit media in there. So we yeah. had to schlep out to the arena to uh, to hear what he had to say after all this. Uh, and he took the stage um, probably angrier than I've ever seen him. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was also clearly upset at how the things went down. It was clear that you know, he had worked on this deal, and had he succeeded in getting a full repeal of House Bill 2, 
This would have been a huge win for a guy who's going to take office in a few weeks without a whole lot of power. Yeah. He would have been able to knock out one of his campaign promises before even taking office uh, in a and, and taking office in a state where he doesn't have the legislature behind him at all. So mm-hmm. he was clearly hoping to take a victory lap last night, um, and it ended up being anything but. So he laid the blame squarely on the uh, shoulders of the uh, Senate and House leadership. Um, He said that they broke their promise to him, that he was assured by them repeatedly that if Charlotte fully repealed its ordinance, the legislature would fully repeal House Bill 2. And of course, that was not uh, what ended up surfacing in the the legislature. Uh, And he made the case that he thought that there was um, enough support for a repeal if you had House or had the Republicans and Democrats both voting on a, a full repeal bill, but that the, the leaders did not want to bring up just a straight repeal bill, my sense is that um, they probably thought they could do that earlier in the week. <clears throat> and uh, from from talking to folks, that whole issue with Charlotte and trust mm-hmm. caused a, caused a few Republicans that may have been interested in voting for uh, a straight up repeal to have reservations and and only be willing to support something that had some caveats in it. Mm-hmm. Um, a interesting thing from from Cooper's press conference. Uh, was that um, he, he actually confirmed uh, Senator Berger's uh, assertions that Cooper himself had been lobbying the uh, Democratic legislators. Uh, that was something that uh, Berger brought up on the floor of the Senate uh, and then was actually uh, contradicted by Senator Floyd McKissick, a Democrat from Durham, who said that he'd not heard from Cooper. Cooper, however, said he had been in touch uh, throughout the, the day of the special session with Democrats and, and was urging them to, in his words, stick to the deal, that they should only support something that was a full repeal and that uh, this moratorium he felt like was essentially an ex- extension of HB2. I think the, the term that uh, Chris Groh of Equality NC was using was HB2.2 because a key part of HB2 was that local governments couldn't have these non-discrimination ordinances. That's uh, one of the reasons that uh, some of these uh, outside sports leagues, conferences, uh, businesses have, have wanted to stay out of North Carolina. Um, and by keeping that in place, even in the short term, uh, you're certainly keeping a, an element of, of HB2 on the books, and, and that was the, the big concern he addressed. But uh, I, I think uh, angry Roy Cooper is probably something we're going to see more of um, in yeah, his dealings with the legislature. I was, I was thinking as you were talking that the uh, political cynic here might think that the Republicans were just out to thwart Cooper, uh, which is a goal of theirs. There's no doubt about it. They've made it clear, and especially now, the message out of the out of Berger's office is it's not going to be a you know a, a, there's not going to be much of a honeymoon period between them and the governor. So. Yeah, and and from the Republican standpoint, the way things went down allows Berger, and he's already making this case to say I gave the Democrats an opportunity for to vote yes on a repeal of HB2, particularly with that way that they divided the vote, even though yeah. uh, you can argue that that division doesn't really mean a whole lot because the whole bill would have moved forward. Um, but the, the Democrats then voted no. So he's saying, are you are you guys serious about repealing this? Or right. is this all just a political stunt and you really want to have this on the books longer so you can raise money and come bash us right. and whatnot? Right. He's definitely making that point. Yeah. And, and too, he's stressing that it was Democrats. He said, how could Democrats, who I've heard nothing but nine months of criticism over how bad HB2 was, how could they vote against a repeal? Yeah, so it's uh, 
It'll be interesting to see if anything comes up. I, I talked to a couple of Republican uh, lawmakers today, and there did seem a sense, even in some of the folks that had voted against um, HB2 repeal, that they want to work on something that addresses this issue in the long session. They don't seem to really have a good grasp on what and what would garner support. But uh, Chuck Edwards, who's a, a new senator from out in uh, western North Carolina, he was one who uh, voted against leadership, voted against the bill uh, on Thursday or on Wednesday, whatever day of the week it is. Um, and he said that was something he was interested in seeing happen in the long session. So there, there's probably going to be more talk of this, but I have a feeling what we're going to see is not going to be full repeal. If I had to guess what comes up in the long session, it's going to be something that perhaps Republicans can all agree on, um, but it's it's unlikely to be at the level where Democrats can agree. Because I think what we saw this week is that uh, Democrats are not going to vote for anything that's not 100% full repeal. And there's perhaps just not enough Republican votes for that. Too many Republicans want to see some element of House Bill 2 uh, preserved into the future because otherwise they say there's still going to be bathroom safety issues that are at the root of all this anyway. Yeah, if, a bit, if this bill couldn't clear the Senate, how, how in the world would it have cleared the House? That was the other thing on Wednesday night, if it had gotten to them. I don't know that they had the votes. Certainly, the, I was our impression that during the day, they did not. So. Yeah, and that's why there was so much delays. I mean, the, yeah. the whole process of the special session was just to hurry up and wait. Yeah. Uh, they would schedule a time to start, and then that time would come and go, and there would be another caucus meeting, and there were hours and hours of caucus meetings. I, I sat outside the, the House caucus to stake it out because I was bored uh, and just started tweeting the uh, quirky things that I kept seeing coming in and out of there. You know, at one point, uh, uh, one of the representatives was taking a call on his phone and explaining, you know, what was potentially in the bill. At another point, uh, somebody came out and, and jokingly asked the police officer if he could borrow his gun. Um, and then some other folks were saying that it was, it was a brutal caucus meeting as they were coming out there. So clearly not much love lost between Republicans over this issue. And uh, certainly some that were really not happy to be there at all, including the, I think, 10 Republicans in the House who voted against the, the rules, which is really unusual to say, we don't like this session so much, so we're not even a vote on these formal set of procedures for how this is going to operate. Right. They said it was unconstitutional. Yeah, which is an interesting one because the same argument was made by Representative Darren Jackson last week about the other special session, right. uh, which was a, a whole different set of issues. Um, yeah, well, I looked into that a little bit for PolitiFact. Um, we didn't put it on our truthometer that I hope all of you know and love, uh, which is when we give it ratings like true or mostly true. We didn't do that, but... Um, just simply there wasn't really enough evidence or precedent for that. But we did look into it, and it's really no matter who's making the claim, the Democrats or the Republicans, there's not much heft to the idea that these sessions are unconstitutional. The Constitution, the state Constitution, is very open-ended on you know, how special sessions can be called, and you know, the, the arguments that people were making were... Uh, pretty specious. I'm not yeah. saying that they were absolutely false, but you know, some of the law professors I talked to said, well, you know, the burden is going to be on them to prove this in a court of law, and it's going to be an uphill battle. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, nothing happened in this week's special session that could get challenged in court because there was no right. bill. But in last week's special session, it seemed like this constitutional argument was going to be a large part of uh, what the Democrats were going to claim in trying to strike down these uh, laws that are curbing Roy Cooper's power as governor. Um, exactly, because if the session itself is unconstitutional, then you'd have to imagine that anything that came out of the session would inherently be unconstitutional. Yeah, and, and their case, I guess, was all centering around the timing of the signatures that uh, the 
legislative leaders should have been required to call the session earlier than they did. Um, but it sounds like they are claiming that the, the final signatures came in the morning that the special session was called, so they may be okay on that standpoint. And there was this whole kind of squabble over when the signatures did or did not actually come in, but really if you, again, just go back to the actual wording of the Constitution, it doesn't really look like that even matters that much. The Constitution just says that you shall call the special session upon receipt of the signatures. It doesn't give any sort of time frame. It doesn't say it immediately upon receipt. It doesn't say within a day of receipt. It just says upon. And upon just means after. I talked to a bunch of people, including the people who uh, write the main legal dictionary out there, uh, Black's Law Dictionary, for all of our <laughs> lawyer listeners, and they confirmed that there is no set definition of the word upon in legal writing so it just it just means after so yeah. and again um you know like i said i also talked to some law professors and they said you know it is so vague that it's possible to make this argument but again the uh, the onus is going to be on the democrats to to prove it yeah and we should note that the uh the sort of leading proponent of that line of thinking is representative darren jackson a democrat from nightdale area um, and he is now, as of this week, uh, going to be the uh, House uh, Minority Leader, replacing Representative Larry Hall from Durham. And uh, uh, news that very quickly got overshadowed earlier this week. I think that was announced on Monday, and of course, we all completely forgot about it by Tuesday. Yeah, in a normal week, you know, we'd be out here, you know, trying to write a profile about him. And, yeah, we'd be sitting know. here, you know, let's see if we can get an exclusive interview with Darren Jackson. Yeah, but now it's, you know, it's. We moved on to bigger things very quickly this week with with all the the craziness. But while we're on the topic of last week's special session, we should note that uh, I think when we last did our podcast, we were waiting to see what McCrory was going to do with House Bill 17, and uh, he did end up signing that. And Craig, do you write a little bit for his reasons for he liked some aspects of it yeah, but not others? He liked all of it or most of it except for the uh, this one provision that. Uh, it seemed problematic on his face. It, it required Senate confirmation of his cabinet secretary picks. Uh, so that's, you know, speaking of Constitution, you know, the Republican argument is that the legislature has all the authority not otherwise delegated elsewhere. And so any power that, you know, that, that transfers elsewhere comes from them. So, uh, in fact, that they have certain... Um, the powers that were actually the subject of a lot of conflict between McCrory and the legislature over the past couple of years about intruding into the executive branch authority. But anyway, he liked the rest of the the, um, the provisions in the, in the bill, which I'm actually forgetting now what the rest of them did. This was the bill that took away appointments to some of the school. Yeah, so the UNC boards of trustees, it was the reduction in the number of oh, yeah. uh, state employees right. that he had the power to hire and fire. Right. And there was some other stuff involving, I think that was the one that also had a lot to do with the superintendent of public instruction, yeah, right. giving that person more, more power because yeah. we now have a Republican right. in that office. Yeah, but he singled out this issue of the cabinet confirmations, and he said uh, he was sure that uh, the new governor's leadership working with the legislature would come up with a uh, with a way, a fix to that. So, yeah. And speaking of the Constitution, wasn't there an, also an argument that some Democrats were advancing that 
this whole redistricting issue has put the whole all their sessions, everything they do, into some kind of yeah. legal jeopardy. Well, yeah, the argument that if if we're they're currently serving un- unconstitutional right. districts, can they do anything? Is everything they done done? Yeah, which is an interesting case. I don't know how far it would get because yeah. the the courts have been very clear on when they would like a yeah. newly elected legislature yeah. under newly drawn districts to yeah. comply with the court ruling yeah. to to be seated, uh, and that won't be till yeah. I think January of, of twenty eighteen. Yeah. Maybe just something you stand on the floor and wave some papers around and try to get some traction on, but probably not a big game changer. Yeah, so lots of uh, things flying. I guess to to wrap up, uh, hopefully we'll have not much to report next week. Uh, Not sure if we'll be... Uh, talk have enough news to, to put together a podcast and talk to you, but uh, we shall see. I, I thought that about this week, and that certainly proved not to be the case in terms of the, the amount of uh, news coming up. But I guess the next couple of weeks we can look forward to seeing some... Cooper's been rather quiet on the right. cabinet appointment front, so right. I would imagine the next couple of weeks as he gets ready to take office, which is just around the corner, January 1st is, is coming up, and he plans to take the oath of office and, and get going on day one. Um, so I guess we'll find out who some of his appointments are, because right now we only know three of his staff members. Right. Um, so, and, and we know there's transition team people in all the departments that are you know, doing interviews and f- figuring out how things are done and talking to people and uh, you know, I would assume he's pretty far down the road assembling these his team. But yeah, I, but I, when we were at the press conference for him last night, I saw most of the, the usual suspects. His senior advisor, advisor so, Ken Udy, was there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Ford Porter, his spokesman throughout yeah. the campaign, yeah. was was there. Megan Jacobs, who I think was his deputy campaign manager, seemed to be running things. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I suspect we'll, we may see some familiar faces as the rest of his uh, appointments are rounded out. Yeah, and I remember when uh, McCrory announced his appointments, it was quite a lot of fanfare there and surprises. Uh, Art Pope as his budget director and Kieran Shanahan uh, as the public safety director. It just you never know who they might come up with. Uh, yeah, and there are lots of Democratic politicians that have probably right, been right. cooling their heels for four years and, and right. wanting to jump back into the game. And part of it will be a message. What can we expect from Cooper? Is it going to be a rehash of some you know something from the 90s or the early 2000s or uh you know during democratic rule or is he going to look forward and you know find new fresh faces with new ideas yeah so we look interesting to look forward to um will has departed we we heard briefly from will doran on his latest politifact endeavor earlier but he's departed so we'll skip headliners of the week for this week and and come back with that on our our next podcast um So I hope everyone has a a great Christmas holiday and get some rest after all of this action. And we will talk to you either next week or the week after, depending on uh, what the news looks like. Thanks so much for listening to Domecast, and we'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com. 